Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Mary Beth, the CTO of BlackBot, and we discuss gaining respect as a new leader, managing quality by hiring A players, and why you should never shop hungry when hiring engineers. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. What's up? Hey, Joel, how you doing? Good, I can't see you. Wait a second, my video just keeps coming in and going. Can you see me now? Yes, there you are. (laughs) It's beautiful outside. Where are you at? We're in Charleston, South Carolina, not too far from you. Ooh, I love me some Carolinas. We go hiking up there every year. Where do you go? We actually go in uh, like where Atlanta, like Blairsville is like, Mm -hmm. you know, northeast of Atlanta. And then there's Murphy and a couple other places and we can drive around in there and be in like three different states at once oh, so we go hiking yeah, up that, there though that is a beautiful place to go especially this time of year i mean the fall is beautiful there oh yeah it's and then i took the drone up there and so i got to <laughs> fly the drone around the mountains and that was a real interesting experience but nice scenery is just unbelievable there yeah, it really is. It's beautiful. We didn't get, we usually go and we like apple pick and like eat the the crappy popcorn that you get off the side of the road, which is like <laughs> the kettle corn. Yeah, it's like crack yeah. corn though. It's yep. so good. <laughs> it's really good. My wife loves it. They actually at the, or we go get the pumpkin festival things. They have some of the kettle corn like food trucks. And so every year she's like, that's my one bag of the unhealthy kettle corn. Yeah, she probably eats it all at one time, doesn't she? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, she eats it all. So we got connected through Peter. How weird was well, that? We actually did it. I, well, I, yeah, right. I mean, like that wasn't the first connection, but yeah, Pete, he sent me a, an email about, I'm like, wait a second, I know Joel, because I read your book and then someone reached out about your podcast and I had listened to your Microsoft CTO, the um, Kevin Scott podcast. And then yes. Pete sent me that random email. And I'm like, what is this like Kevin Bacon thing that's happening right now? I know. Sure. <laughs> I know. Like, I, he's like, he's like, Have you, do you know Mary? Uh, and he, so he said your name, right? And I, I look you, I go to look you up to see if like I had ever engaged with you or anything. And I was like, she's, she's in my like contact. And I was like, this is unbelievable. Like what a small, <laughs> small, awesome world. <laughs> Indeed. Well, there's not, I guess, uh, you know this better than me, but there's probably a limited number of people who have the CTO title. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, do you know about the um, the format of the interview? So, like, we're just recording the whole time. Yeah. So, there's no, there's no like, big intro, and it's just us hanging out and talking about technology. Yeah, right? that sounds good. Unless you want me to, like, give you a big intro, I could do that for you if you... You want to, like, MC down an intro for me? <laughs> Sure. And here's Joel on the Modern CTO podcast. Hello, my friends. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's so much fun. You're a lot of fun. Oh, thanks. How did you end up in your position? Like, first of all, how do you say the name of the company? Because it, it, it throws me off. Yeah, and that's it? probably a sign of your age and maybe mine too. It's um, Black Bod, B-A-U-D. Remember the Bod rate, which is like back old school modem tech. Oh, so, wow. Do you remember that? So I think that it was, um, gosh, when's the first time I used a modem? Probably back in the 80s, right? Mid 80s. Yeah. The, um, yeah, the, uh, the company was started, I think the first, com- the first customer that we had was uh, a school. And so it was a kind of a take on technology with Blackboard, like being the school. Right. So it was Blackboard and it just kind of stuck. That's who actually who I thought it was at first when mm-hmm. I saw it because there's that, you know, the BB, the, um, the educational company, Blackboard, that was really large. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, is it Blackboard? And I'm like, uh, I think there's a typo there. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're actually different companies, although there is a little bit of a tangential overlap, not really an overlap, but I mean, we kind of see each other in different um, with different customers. Nice. Blackboard's a great company. Yeah, I've, I've never heard anything but so. How did you how did you get to Blackbot? Oh gosh, well I mean it's um, 
I mean, I, I mean, I can kind of start from the beginning or I can give you kind of like just the last 15 years of how I actually got to this position. You, you, you tell me what you're interested in. Well, now I'm going to put the official response as like teleportation machine. Like that's how you <laughs> got there. <laughs> uh, either it's fine how you ended up this, the story of how you ended up in the exact position or just the, the whole thing. Like where did I want, I, I like you, first of all, you're extraordinarily likable. And now I want to know your story. Great. Well, you're probably not going to like me after the story because it's extraordinarily uninteresting, but I'll, I'll tell you about <laughs> it. By the way, I'm a big Trekkie, so love the teleportation. Yes. Um, so, I mean, yeah, uh, you you probably know you're a developer and a CTO yourself. I mean, for me, the story is similar. I love math and science. I didn't love memorizing dates very much, so history just didn't appeal to me as much and felt like I had to work harder at it. So. You know, I just matriculated into math and science at a young age and it kind of stuck with me. So I graduated from college and I went to work at a Department of Energy National Lab. I, I grew up in New Jersey and one of my goals after graduation was to get out of New Jersey. I love New Jersey, but I really wanted to experience different parts of the country. So I took a job offer with DuPont and they at the time were running the Savannah River National Lab in South Carolina. So I went there, took a job as a programmer, spent 15 years there and it was like, it was a crazy place to be as a developer because it basically had every different kind of technology to play on. I and mean, we had a Cray XMP and the biggest installation of Macs. We had Quadra 950s at the time. Of course, you know, IBM PCs, but then workstations galore and IBM mainframe. I mean, all the new risk architecture was coming out then. And I worked on a, on a symbolics machine and I got to play in code that, was just across the board. Like we had a Vax VMS system. I wrote Fortran on it. You know, I wrote That's symbolics awesome. code on, you know, Lisp on a, on a symbolics machine. So it was just, it was just fun. And then, so I spent 15 years there and then got recruited away to a, a run R and D for a company called Ipswich headquartered in Boston um, with a couple of Southern offices where we had most of our engineering. And I spent maybe seven or eight years there until I came here to Blackboard and been here for about 10 years now and the company's grown and it's a really cool place to work. What's, what's the mission of the company? That's a great question. And you, I have to tell you this, you know, I, Blackbaud is a big company with the 24th largest cloud computing company, cloud software company. But you know, I didn't even know Blackbaud 10 years ago. I didn't know who they were. I went looking for a company that had a presence in South Carolina and had the tech that I wanted. And mm -hmm. I just knocked on their door and said, Hey, will you give me a job? And they're like, no, and then I'm like, wait a second, I really want to work for you. And so I found the connect, common connection and I actually was able to come here. But the mission, funny, you, you, know, you, you ask about that. I should have known them because the mission is delivering you know, computing a, a software and services for the nonprofit and for the entire social good sector. So it's, um, it's like charities that you might know, the, the largest of the large, like American Heart Association to the smallest local community food banks and animal shelters, higher ed, faith-based foundations, companies that have CSR programs, people like me and you who'd like to give our time and our, our dollars to causes we care about. And so we provide everything from fundraising and donation management to marketing to student information systems, volunteerism, everywhere in between, peer-to-peer. -peer. So it's a really deep portfolio. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a really cool company because but as an engineer like the work we do has just amazing impact too so you're like cloud computing for good <laughs> we are cloud computing for good can i like trademark that if i if i put your name next to it it's all yours 100 yeah. <laughs> yeah. i mean that's exactly what we are because you know i feel like you know as a technologist and i worked in the it like serving it customers for a long time like the nonprofit market, the social good sector. And I feel like that's somewhat of an ignored and underserved community where they're deserving of high tech and the benefits and values that it brings more than, you know, as much so if not more than, than others. So yeah, I'm pretty passionate about it. So I'm, I'm actually the president of a charity. You are? Yes. What's yeah, a charity? So, so you see this little book up here? Yeah, it's but my eyes aren't that good. I can't read right, it. I'll grab it. <sighs> Princess physicist. <gasps> Wait a second. Is that like a woman in technology type oh, of yeah. story? 
so so she gets um, this this lovely princess physicist. She gets uh, stuck in a tower, right? And she finds a book on physics under her bed, and then she you know she tinkers um, tinkers about, and she uh, ends up using physics in order to get herself out of the tower, and then she is free. And it wasn't um, it wasn't luck or a steed with a hunk. Twas physics her freedom obtained. <laughs> that is awesome. Okay. So, Wait a second. I have this I'm, book, but I think that one's. Oh, <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, Wait I a second. It. I really want that. Can I get it on Amazon? Yeah. No. I'm. I'll, I'm. I'm sending you a copy of it. Okay. We got this one, and then we got Back to the Moon, which is little brother and sister that um, go to the moon. Yeah. So, did you use one of like Newton's laws, like the? How did you like? Was it gravity? How, how did? What was the? How did you explain that phenomenon of how she found her way out of the tower? I'm gonna send you the book, okay. And you're gonna you're gonna have that lovely anticipa anticipation <laughs> and be able to find out yourself. No, yeah. So uh, the they I wrote the book, and uh, had it illustrated by some of the people that do like the illustrations for like the Disney children's book, and That's then phenomenal. we uh, printed up several thousand copies and then donated them to uh, homeless pregnant women shelters, uh, and foster family shelters, things like that. Women, children in need, because they need wow. books. You need you, you got to well, give something to your kids for Christmas and stuff. You know, they need books, but all of us need some some inspiration too and some goals. So I I love that message. I mean, it's it's beautiful. Congratulations yeah, so, for that. Oh, thanks. Yeah, we had um I had my first daughter. She's thirteen months. Uh, wow. Right there, she just started walking and talking, so that's awesome. But uh, right before she was born, uh, my mom passed away. And then oh, left sorry. us twenty five. Uh, thank you. Left us twenty five thousand dollars. And so my brother's a, a doctor. My sister's a physics, a science teacher. And we said, well, you know, what could we do with this money that would be unique and interesting? Go on a trip somewhere that she would have liked, whatever. And then we ultimately came up with uh, let's. Uh, I came up with the idea to do some books so that we could um, read them to our grandkid, to our kids, which would be her grandkids, so that we'd have some excuse to, you know remember her, right? And then we found out after I went through the whole project, um, it didn't cost that much. So we had like a bunch of money left over. I wrote the book, had some books. And then we, I figured, well, we got to get rid of the rest of this money. So I formed a, a nonprofit, which wasn't too difficult, but it took like seven months. And then, uh, then we just spent the remainder of the money on printing up lots of books. And then we just, uh, around the holidays, we just go drop them off. And this is year two of it. So. Oh man, that's great. That is fantastic. Have you gotten any feedback on the books from folks that you've given them to? Yeah. Well, like people will send us like newspaper clippings or something. Cause I don't know. My brother is a, a doctor. So like people come into the office and we'll buy them or take them or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, we just, this is our second year doing it. So second holiday season doing it. And we, I had never had any charity experience. I just wanted to, to do something it makes you feel really good. Mm -hmm. Like it's now I understand why people give away like lots of money and they, they spend time when you have that first act of doing it, like it just sets off this whole feeling inside of you that you have never experienced before. And then I'm like, it's actually like selfishly people should want to do good because it feels amazing. It yeah. does. And you know, that story that you told about, you know, paying tribute to your mom and doing this and, really impacting people. And then you add that on top, like that feel good. I mean, it's just, I'm addicted as well. So I completely understand. Right. And it's a great excuse too, to like keep, uh, you know, talking about them. Cause I don't know if, if you've lost a parent before, but, and this is typically not the topic of the podcast, <laughs> this is fun. but it's strange because, you know, there's like times where you'll go to want to talk to them and like, and if nobody talks about them or then you're only talking about them with your siblings and it's mm -hmm. just like, you know, so I, I found this to be a way that's like, you know, it's a cool way to, to keep the memory active without and, and also feel, you know, good about it. Yeah, but it's also a freaking awesome message. Like what you're doing is like, and by the way, your daughter's probably old enough to teach her calculus. So you might as well like pull those books out and start thinking about it. <laughs> 18 months is like the, the, the cutoff for that. But <laughs> what you're doing is we have to start to have the conversation differently so that at a young age, girls see 
STEM programs, whether it be, you know, CS or physics, I studied physics as well, that it's accessible and that you can be successful in a field that, you know, you, you, where you can see yourself, you know, be going and being happy and being successful, seeing role models there, right? Being yourself, being a princess, which might look different than the typical engineer. Like that is what matters. Right. I, I've wanted to like, I had the idea of like, how could I do it bigger next year? And I was thinking about going to like, um, I happen to know the CTO over at Mattel. Right. And I was like, I want them to like license and I don't even want the money, just like give it away to charity, but, but make the princess physicist like a character, right? Because <laughs> that would be perfect. Cause you, you still get to be the princess, right? Cause there's no reason why you shouldn't want to, you know, you shouldn't have to choose. So you should be the princess and the physicist. Well, that's why their CEO went to Mattel. I don't, you probably know that, but she no, went I to don't. Mattel because she wanted to have the impact on being able to transform how we think about, about how toys can have that indirect, but super impactful kind of effect on younger people. So, um, oh, wow. Yeah. They, do the homework on that. Yeah. I just knew their CTO and like, I see him on, we talk, we interact from time to time on, um, on LinkedIn, but mm -hmm. I did not know that uh, their CEO, she went there to, for that mission. I'm going to call her up be like, take the princess physicist. I don't <laughs> care what you do. Like, you know, just make sure to use the money to like donate part of anything. Yeah. Well, I think that Barbies now have like, you know, Barbie doctor, Barbie physicist, Barbie, yeah. you know, chemist. So I, I think that that is starting to, you know, get some momentum behind it. I think it's great. You know, when you were, when I was going through school and then got the job as the developer, the programmer, I mean, I was in a very, very like small minority. I mean, I would say it was probably two or three engineers in the lab at the time of a thousand um, engineers and who were women. And so it, it's a little bit of a, you know, you got shell shocked a little bit when, you know, you go out into the real world and, you know, it, having more of us doesn't just make folks like you and me feel better. It's the right thing for the business. And I know you know that and most people do, but I just need to say that is you know, this diversity of perspective and experience. I mean, that's what leads to better software. Oh, it leads to, it leads to pretty much better everything. I liked it. Yeah. I was watching, I don't, I don't know if it was Cosmos or some documentary or something of the nature, but it was, they talked about a rainforest and how its diversity is the thing that makes it so resilient and keeps it alive. Mm -hmm. Like all the different types of life and how they intertwine is what strengthens the rainforest. And I was like, that's a good argument for diversity because I found it to be true as well. Although, in the so I agree with you, I think that's a great metaphor, but in the rainforest, for the most part, they live in unity. Like it, it's, it kind of all works together, even though you have all this dichotomy of, you know, organic matter and flora and fauna and the weather patterns you know, I think that we could probably take a lesson just in general as people about how to live in unity, even though we come at it from a different angle. Then those monkeys come through the rainforest. And all of a sudden, <laughs> unity is the farthest thing from your mind. <laughs> then you just run. <laughs> I was like, I've seen some of those monkeys on Discovery Channel. Like, you got a 50-50 shot of being yeah, a right, right. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So how, how many people are are in the organization and then how many people are in technology how many people do you currently lead in technology about 3500 people at blackbod about 800 or so of them are in the technology organization you know that they span everything from product management user experience engineering so it's you know those folks that exist as are within our technology group and then did you start out, I, I, sorry, I was following your story earlier, but did you actually start out as a CTO there or did you come in and then over the course of 10, 15 years, climb up? Yeah, it was 10 years. So I came in and I had a, I was running software, like a software organization and then was promoted into an SVP role, which then turned into a CTO role. So in, in a way, it, it definitely was kind of a growth trajectory from the time that I entered the organization. Um, but really for the last seven or eight, seven, six or seven years, you're making me do the math now. It's probably not that long. That's so okay. I came in 10 years ago. So probably five or six years I've been in that SVP, even though I haven't had the CTO role, I think it's been like three or four years now. And then through those transitions, we have a lot of 
early new leaders or just some leaders that want more experience. So what, what tips do you have for gaining, you know, I guess gaining respect as a leader, you know, what positioning yourself so that individuals, I guess, respect you? Well, I mean, I really, it's just the lessons of life. I mean, the, the first, like, I know you, I read your book and I agree with so much of what's in there. You, you kind of draw the dichotomy of developer to CTO out, but I see leadership really as influence and you need to be that as an architect or an engineer, you know, so I would say things like, you know, influence and impact and passion and trustworthiness and team spirit, like being able to support and develop your team. But I mean, as a leader, you know, my job as a CTO is, I mean, I work for my team. And so I think if you keep that attitude of the team success is my success and it's my job to grow the team and do it with, with passion and, you know, with integrity and character. I mean, I think that that's really how I live my life. And I think that's important as a leader as well. You're a fantastic leader. I talk to people all, all day. Like I, I love, I love your responses. And the reason is because like you can't make this stuff up. Like the only way you're able to respond like that is because that's who you are as a person. And that's what I like. Well, yeah. thanks, Joel. Thank you very much. Yeah. I don't know. You, you mentioned Pete earlier that uh, the co the colleague of ours that we share in common. I, you know, he may have a different story because he and I were together <laughs> <at Pittsburgh laughs> for a while. But I'm kidding. But yeah, I mean, don't you like to hire people that way? Like, I mean, you want to hire people who have that, you know, that, that collaborative spirit and that, you know, you want, you want people who want to be a part of something bigger than just them. I, I just made my ninth hire today. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. So we're growing and just started hiring um, director of sales. And I guess this would be like the second director of sales type position, uh -huh. but uh very, very diverse and, and the hires in the way that they think. And it's, it's been, I don't know, it's just so exciting because I know that that feeling you get when you know it's the right move. Yeah. And, and when it's there, like, I don't like the ones where it's like, you're kind of sure. I like the ones where you're like, this is a good move. No matter what happens here, I will learn a lot and we'll be one step farther ahead. And so I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what made me think of that. I love it. Well, by the way, first of all, your mom would be proud. So congratulations. And then the second is that, like, you know, we're agile in how we do engineering. At the core of who I am as an engineer, right? And I'm a believer in ship fast. Like, don't tell me that it's going to take you five teams in three years, right? You have one team, ship something and learn, and then we'll shift and figure things out. Like, it sounds to me you're running, like you're running your business that same way. And I think that's oh, a yeah. really important way to do it is to bring people in with diverse kinds of perspectives and try something and learn and pivot and shift and change. And that's how you live. That's how you are successful as a technology company. Oh yeah. It came about from the show. People were asking about, you know, how do I train my technology leaders? I went to research some stuff because people ask me for tools all the time. They'll say, you know, what do you use for this or API documentation? And so I go find something. I talk amongst my friends who've used it. I'll demo it myself and then try it. So they were asking me about leadership training for technologists and I couldn't find anything. And so then I asked if there was some interest. People said, yes, I spent 10 days, recorded some videos, um, built Ruby app, Ruby on Rails app uh, inside of 10 days and had two paying customers, you know, wow. cash flow. And then I hired someone, I hired someone else. We got more customers. We made mistakes, we figured things out, but the software from, you know, idea to paying customer and MVP in the hands of a paying customer inside of 10 days, um, just because we found a need and, and went to go fill it. And, you know, now making higher, like number nine today, like, I don't know, I'm really excited. We just closed the first round of um, venture capital financing too. Great, that's fantastic. Wow, yeah, like, look, 10 days, I mean, the, look, I mean, to, to time box it that to that short of a time frame, man. They usually like that's on steroids. I love that. That's awesome. And I usually do it like in a sprint block or something, like six months. But I love that. That is so cool. It was so hard because it's it's the hardest thing. I'm so convinced of this too. The hardest thing in the world is to keep something simple. Like you have an initial idea and you're like, oh, that's simple. That's cool. And then anything forward from that is just making it more detailed and more complicated by definition, right? And so I just kept in front of me, 
the only thing the system needs to do is to be able to deliver this value and then just kept it and then and then just i even recorded myself i did like a video blog i was like today i went off on a tangent and tried and thought about these 10 features and how the product wouldn't work without them and i convinced myself of this and that would have added additional six weeks of delivery like and then i just said woke up the next day and i was like i can't do it i just got to stick with the basic and it was hard yeah that's right it's so hard to do that it really is i mean i agree with you i mean and you know don't it's hard not to ask your customers or to to say no to them but you have to you know, like really understand the problem they have versus listening to what they're asking you to do. Like you got to be able to understand it. and then keeping it simple, like Frankenstein software is horrible. And they're just like <laughs> things on everywhere, you know, like that is really difficult. And I always tell folks, look, it, you know, I think one of the worst mistakes I've ever made is listening too much to my customers. And by that, I mean, doing what they ask me to do versus doing something that's super valuable to them in a much different way than they would ever imagine. And that's the challenge that you'll have that I have too. Like even in a larger company, like your spirit of agility, we have to be able to live that every day. And, you know, in the cloud world, especially, and I feel like really lucky that we're able to like trash the old way of doing things like, you know, user testing and giving people, sitting people down and putting something in front of them. Or you just listen to what users are doing via telemetry data. And then you shift and pivot and move and A-B test. And yeah, that's how you do it. I love it. You're modern too. That's why you were attracted to the title of the book, Modern CT. And you know what? That was my first book. I learned so much about how to write a book from that because there's like two audiences of people, one who like the stories and they can understand, like you can extract from the stories, the, like the value. And then the other that they want like bullet point, like actual, ah. like, engineering like specs they want specs at the end of the mm -hmm. chapter and so i didn't satisfy that side of the market and i learned really really fast <laughs> so that now on the next book we're doing called everything but code right it's like everything yeah. except code uh which will include you in that too for sure like i'll include some of your nice. experiences and throw throw you in there and uh it's useful he's good information quality people and then you know our job is to spread the word so that the next generation can make, you know, less mistakes and do better than we've done. That's what life's all about, right? Like I, I wanted, I was doing a lot of searching in, in my twenties, I'm in my thirties now about like what the purpose of life was for me. And one of the things I found was that DNA on like our most core cellular level continually replicates and passes information down to the next generation. It clones information. And so I thought, okay, if I'm going to live with a purpose, one of my core driving principles in life is going to be passing information down to the next generation because literally it's in our dna and so that was a very believable purpose of uh, part of life for me so i i latched on to that you got me talking a lot i love that <laughs> well i love it well i thought you said this was a conversation i it love is. it <laughs> I was, I was the thing is like you, you talked about everything but the software i mean we 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 were on this mission to transform our entire crowded portfolio of products to the cloud and we wanted to converge all of these things because all those really quick all those markets that i described earlier that blackboard serves there's like big common elements across all of those and so rather than duplicate them and monolithic apps that some ship on prem and then going way back here but like what you know my my core mission in life and really one of my most challenging things i've ever done in my career has been transforming that whole thing and where we started joel was in this platform concept of like let's get some core principles together and then what we call non-functional requirements like you need a CI/CD pipeline automate everything entitlement we want a, a, a system of entitlements and like orchestration of provisioning of how you provision like we've got to start at the fundamental stages of how we're going to work together all these teams because inevitably we're going to be stepping on each other's toes all day long we have 102 scrum teams so we started there so i love that i the concept of nfr and then as you converge on this common cloud framework, what are your, what are your core tenets? Like always have a code in a shippable state, like be able to click a button, build and ship, you know, being able to like the automate everything thing, um, contributor model where you can contribute code, you know, do a pull request of someone else's, you know, code base with someone's repository, which should be open as well. So those are all things that we went from this old siloed product architecture and engineering premises to this new way of doing things. And it's been, 
it's been fun and crazy and challenging and scary and horrifying and awesome all at the same time. So with all of this knowledge and all of these things that you're doing, what does your day look like as far as interacting with your teams? Do you have like a core personal team that you work with, some direct, like how, how is your structure laid out? Yeah, um, yeah, so we're talking like, how does my day work? You're, so first of all, we're talking about a weekday, not a weekend. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because that, that starts a lot later. Um, but my weekdays, so yeah, I mean, I, I do work mostly with, like, my core team is the person who runs technology strategy, the person who runs product management, um, the person who runs our center of excellence for data and analytics. So we want that to be a first class field because all the work that we're doing around insights from all the data that we have should be informing UX, user experience, to your point of keeping it simple. We shouldn't, we shouldn't ask customers, users to do something where we know what the right path is based on the data that we have. Um, so we have a data and analytics COE with data science practice. Um, I have user experience. So we have a user experience team. Um, we have a, I have a Blackboard Labs, which is an incubation team Ooh. looking at things like new tech and how we're taking things and applying things that are unplanned in a way. Yeah. But we bring people through. It's an accessible team. It's not some ivory tower crazy team. Um, so that those are my core team. I might be forgetting. Oh, strategic content development. Like That's so all important. of our APIs and things. Yeah. It is. It is, especially for things like APIs, right? Like they, these folks don't just write words. They write code, like yeah. sample code and, they're, you know, shipping it like using like the open source model. But so that's, that's the core team that I work with that are, I mean, we see our, we're really the strategy team more so than the execution team. And we're the ones who are setting the company strategy based on what's valuable, what's possible, what's usable, what's viable, right? We bring all that together in one team and, you know, we, we prioritize, which is always difficult. Oh, um, yeah. then I guess <laughs> you know, it's amazing when you brought up the, the documentation API or strategic content, right? Every time I, I see a company that doesn't have great API documentation, I will like email them about an article of Stripe. <laughs> like, because that payment company, I don't know if you followed them or not. These We, uh, we, we know the CEOs very well, the brothers. We know, Do you? We, we work very closely with the Stripe folks. Yeah, so we know what? them very well. Uh, the That's the back end of our payment system. We work together with Stripe very, very okay. closely. They're amazing. I found Stripe when I was looking for an alternative to authorize.net, like mm -hmm. probably year one of Stripe. I, I mean, I'm pretty, I remember the website in my head and it was like very basic. Right. And I found them. I was like, finally, there's an alternative to authorize.net. And because the experience was so bad, so bad. It was the worst code. It was so poorly content. It was like 1980 stuff. And it was like 2007 or something. I don't know. But uh, I found them and I was like, this is so beautiful. I integrated with them. And then I, I, I am personally responsible for at least 20 of their customers because I would just tell everyone to do it. I was like, look, I don't care what rate you're going to get or how you're going to try to shop it with your banker on the business side. If you want developers to love you and you want to reduce your time to market, Stripe. Yeah, look, I, I, well said. I mean, they've been great to work with, really great partners. So I love to see that you have a strategic content team that helps with developing API content and that you see that as a value point because you'd be surprised. There are companies that still don't care. Yeah, well, it's kind of like a, if a tree falls in a forest, you know, I think about APIs that way. I can develop a method, but if I don't expose it and write about it, then who cares? It, it does, it's like it doesn't exist. So, yeah, I, mean, I yeah, we've... And that's like, that's taken discipline really to, to say this is important and we're going to invest in it. Um, but, you know, with all of this, you know, we have this macro services concept where, you know, teams own the services that they deliver, you know, you have, you live on web services and API. So in a way we had to get that discipline for internal developers, not just for the folks who are going to consume the product externally. And so how do you manage like quality? Like you being at the top of the larger organization, how do you ensure that the things happening down at the teams, like if they're owning a specific experience, like how, how does information travel uh, and for you to be able to, to guarantee and know that you've got the most quality product available? Well, I mean, first you hire really good people. Yes. <laughs> and not just the people on the teams, right? It's like you hire A players and you hire A leaders who are going to own 
certain aspects of the portfolio. So then you empower them, right? You tell them you run, go fast, figure it out. And I'm going to support you. And by the way, perfect is not the goal. You're going to screw up and you're going to learn and you're going to move forward. And so, I mean, that's, you create a culture that I think is of excellence, but not like the typical, you know, total quality excellence that we learned back in the nineties, right? This is a different way of getting to, to excellence and quality. And, you know, on a, on a personal note, as I, as I've been growing as an individual, cause I'm, I'm young, I'm in my early thirties, right? As I've been yeah. growing and talking to all these great leaders over the past, you know, a little bit over a year, um, I've realized more and more that 80% of the problems come from this hiring the wrong people. And then they have this horrible culture. And then when it starts to, when their companies start to scale, they're like, what do we do? What do we do? And as I'm looking at them, because people call me for advice all the time. So I get to see a huge variety of companies. And a lot of times the answer is just like, you've just got a bunch of like not great people. And to, there's no product you're going to purchase. There's no consultant you're going to have come talk. There's no course or training you're going to put them in through. You're fundamentally hiring like the wrong people. And it's, in, it's embedded in your entire organization. So for me, it's been really important with building the foundation that I'm building at the, this technology leadership company that we just have, we take it slow and find those A players so that everything that comes, and when you find them, like you spend less time on managing that their work is quality and more time just with them and making sure that you're filling that human component of it. Right. Cause you know that if they're fulfilled and they feel re like good about the work that they're doing and that it's valuable, then they will just produce. Yeah. So well said. Yeah. I, I, I think I've shopped hungry in my career oh, where I've that's good. said, I need to hire five engineers. And so I'm going to go out there and grab whatever's on the shelf and, it never pays off, you know, to your point. Well, let me ask you this. Do you, do you find that people, when they hire the wrong people, is it about not having the right people with the right skills or is it really hiring the people who can be like acerbic and counter to the culture? That's the biggest problem. Cause those are tough. When you have someone who's like a killer engineer, but who's just not a team player. Those are hard to say, get out. Right. That's yes. tough. You used a word I've never heard acerbic. Yeah, just bitter, like just really? not like counter to the culture, right? Like I love it. Yeah, that's a good yeah, word. I I just learned something. Thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of the um, there's that graph of like skill set versus culture fit, mm -hmm. and as they go to the different quadrants, you know if you're gonna you know keep them because they're a great culture fit and upskill them, or they're really really good. But you just I was actually talking um, with a senior engineering manager at a very large brand that we all know, and she was telling she was telling me that um, they're going to hire this individual that is an extraordinary engineering fit, but a low culture fit, but they had an interesting um, way of dealing with it. They said that they're going to hire this individual. And if it's becoming overwhelming to the team that they have another team in mind with a much stronger type of leader that they're going to put him to, if it doesn't work out on the first team, and I was like, that, that's an interesting that's an interesting approach. I want you to circle back with me and let me know how that goes. I'm just curious to see how it plays out. Yeah. Um, and I don't know the whole situation, but my me initial either. gut reaction is if you have to move someone from one team to another, they're leaving a trail of destruction behind them. And that's hard to, you know, sometimes put it all back together when you have someone on the team, it, it can be, I use another word like divisive almost where you I like have that word. Yeah. Kind of like you just need, you know, these, it's a different way of working together. You need teams to be able to get together and disagree and have common goals and celebrate each other and lift each other up and help each other out. And at the end of the day, they deliver together. And if you can't do that, if, I, don't know, I probably would have said, look, if you, if you know that coming, like before you hire someone, typically that's the honeymoon phase, right? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I would probably pass on that person if it were me. That was my first instinct. My second thought went to, what team are you transferring to that's know, going that's to excel? <laughs> it was it's like, like, they got the boxing gloves on oh, and they're like, you know, they're just like, okay, tell, me more, tell me more about the fight club team. <laughs> <laughs> they're like all bloodied and scarred. <laughs> 
Yeah, don't I don't don't sign me up for that team. That's for sure. <laughs> no, but I, I'll I'll circle back with you. I mean, I'm, I've got a pretty good feeling how it's going to go. But at the same time, you know, I backed it up and was, was talking to her more. And because of the growth of their company and the speed of it, she was tasked with a specific integer number of hires to make. And so that's a scary, a scary position to be in as a fast growing company, because you said it perfect. And I'm going to probably share that for the rest of my life. Um, don't shop hungry because, you know, I think everybody understands that because what happens is you end up at the checkout line, you get home and you got a bunch of junk and you're still starving. Yeah. <laughs> right. What are you going to have for dinner? Just Kit Kats or an ice cream? Yeah, I get Doritos. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. I mean, and look, I've been there. I've, I've, I've compromised on culture. I've compromised on, you know, timing. And I, I just feel like I'm, I've just learned my lesson over the course of, you know, many years of doing this. That that's just, it doesn't pay off for me anyway. Not, not personally. I don't think it pays off for anybody. I've, I've learned, I've learned to notice the feeling of compromise. And as it starts to linger, I, I then correct myself. Because I already know what's going to happen. I get the feeling, I compromise, and it doesn't work out well. <laughs> so when I yeah, notice, yeah, and that's hard because I'm gonna, I, I, I want to give people the benefit of the doubt, and I have a, I lead with red and yellow energy. Like um, we just did an insights discovery, so it's kind of like the Myers Briggs assessment. Oh, nice. But I, I definitely lead. You know, like I'm, I'm kind of a very directive, like let's go do this, let's climb the mountain kind of person. But I, my, I'm also like I want to believe the best in, in people and um, that can get in the way too, right? It's like to your point of you have to kind of step back and if you're feeling in your gut that it's not the right culture fit, then it's probably not. That is correct. Did you guys do the thing where they have everybody go to the different corners of the room and then you end up as a color and like, was that yes. the test you did? Yeah. 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 It was like red, blue, green, red, yeah, red, blue, green, yellow. And the red is like the, you know, directing and the yellow is the visionary, like everything is great. Let's go there. And green is about team and blue is data. So yeah. I was very confused. I was like, I didn't know what you're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> you're just standing in the middle. Pretty <laughs> much. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I like to like, I, let, I like to spend a lot of time with people and then make decisions over the course of days, especially when I'm feeling impulsive because it allows me to sort of like iterate through my colors right? Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. check, check myself. <laughs> yeah, because you have to like pull them out uh, depending upon the situation, right? Are you analyzing something? Are you writing code? Are you getting your team together and like, you know, motivating them? That's all. Yeah. You just lean on certain aspects of like your, your color energy is what I've been told. And I'm not a color energy kind of person. So the <laughs> fact I'm using these words, I'm very proud of myself. I have to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I want, I want to, I want to know what color Pete is. <laughs> Pete would probably be blue red. Do you know Pete well? Have you spent any time with him? You know, we we've had a couple like one-on-one uh, -on -one conversations where we just like kind of hang out on the video chat about what's going on, and I like to share information about what I'm learning or let people. I like to let people ask me questions because like 200 interviews with all these leaders, like I, if you ask me questions, I can just tell you what my experience is from all of it, and so I I offer that up to people and and um yeah for some reason we got along he joined our leader bits program and right. uh yeah and so yeah I, I interact with him but not not a whole lot probably we spent like probably about four or five hours together on calls that's great yeah, yeah I, um it's been 10 years since i've worked with him he's a great guy oh, okay but i definitely see him as an analytical but like leads with red like a you know he can get stuff done so I really always appreciated that about him. He's a great guy. Now he started speaking publicly and stuff. You know I about saw this? that? Yeah. yeah, I saw that. He told me about it. He sent me a couple of links to to some of the presentations that he's done, which is great. And I do that too. I, I do it reluctantly. You know, I'm, it's so funny because I was I I he he's doing a great job because he's kind of looking across the the board and saying I'd like to do this and I'd like to do that. And I'm I'm kind of like I guess I kind of just go where. Um, asked to go and I'm kind of stepping back from that and saying where do I want to show up and what do I want to do so it's um he's taught me that lesson I think that's been good too well now you got to tell me where what track are you on president well, oh gosh I don't know <laughs> no. <laughs> no not the political track no way um no I mean just being able to 
you know, spend time, I think, with people who I can learn from and who I feel like um, I can, you know, share a message with as well. I mean, just, and so I went and I did a, I think it was back in May, I did an Ignite talk. Do you, you know what an Ignite is? Have you heard about No, that? I don't. No. It's kind of a TED talk, but it's a five minute talk, which is Ooh. difficult for me because it's compressed and they, it, there's, you have slides, but it, you, they flip every 15 seconds automatically. So they keep you on track. Oh, nice. And so I went to a conference called N10 and I did an Ignite talk. And for, that was the first time that I reached out of my comfort zone and spoke about being a woman in technology. Because, I mean, for the longest time, Joel, I'm not proud to admit this, but I, I, I really didn't, I really shied away from some of the forums that were more gender specific. And this is a long time ago, like even in my career where I was like, join the women in ACM team and group. And I always said, no, I just want to join ACM. And I think it, kind of going back to me starting in the lab, I, you know, I, the surprise looks I would get when I could actually sling code really just, I think it kind of wore on me a little bit. And so I, I kind of came out with a little of the, you know, I can write code just as well, or not, maybe not just as well as any person, but you know, a lot of the people, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a really good coder and it has nothing to do with my gender. And so I, for the longest time, I just wanted to be known as an engineer and not as a woman engineer. And, it wasn't until just a few years ago that I realized how selfish I was being. I was like, gosh, all along, it was not about me, right? It's about all these, these young women and girls who are coming up through the ranks and wanting to be able to relate to someone and see someone who chose that path and is happy, just happy, has nothing to do with success. It's because I, to me, it's equivalent. You're happy and you're successful. And, and so I, I've changed my my thought process about that, especially in the last four or five years. And yeah. So what organizations are you now a part of? Well, I'm in the fortune, um, most powerful women network. So I've Come gone on. <laughs> How could you not be right? Like you're amazing. You speak well, you're intelligent. Like That's so nice. I'm so pumped. Like, yeah. When I saw your, I, I clicked on when they introduced us, I clicked on your talk and you had some video on, your LinkedIn, right? Like you giving some breakdown of at a conference. I was like, and I heard you speak, and within thirty seconds, I was like, we got it. We got to have this person on. And then I'm like, thank like, you for dark. saying that. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I don't really prep for anything, so that actually means a lot more. I mean, and really, you speak with so many people, so coming from you, I'm honored to hear that. I mean, it means oh, a lot. You're, you're at the very top. Like that. There's like, <laughs> there's there's normal, and then there's like great, and then there's just that that special top oh handfuls gosh. yeah you're up there so just have Thank that confidence you. yeah that's really kind of you I, um but uh, yeah and i appreciate you're right you have to own it and i'm not you very do. good at that either and as most people are not but i, I appreciate that very much thank you but at the, at the heart of who i am like i you, you know i did a six syntax con talk about cloud transformation and some of the non-functional requirements and the things that we kind of touched on earlier like the technology that's where I'm a little bit more comfortable is, you know, get up in front of a room, you know, the subject, it's a little bit more objective, even though you're going to weigh in on opinions about what the best means to, you know, solve a problem is. And, you know, at the end of the day, I, I got a, and I've given lots of talks and stuff, but then, you know, I did this five minute ignite talk and I was nervous. I mean, I, and I've given talks like in front of thousands of people before, like at our, our conference and I, I don't tend to get nerves and I was I found myself very like feeling vulnerable and I'm like, Oh my God, is anyone going to care about this? And it was, it was a definite like moment for me. And I thought, you know, I, I need to push myself more. And maybe I always felt like as long as you to see a woman talking about engineering, that's what changes hearts and minds. It's what I do, not about what I say, or, you know, it's telling people about what I've done. Let me say it that way. <laughs> but it's, um, you know, to, to say, to, you know, to talk about myself, it's a different level of, commitment and vulnerability you're opening up um, yeah yeah but, but the nerves so you know i i do a lot of the speaking as well and so what i've done is i've i tell myself and i took this from somebody right but nervousness that feeling is just the feeling that you're it's excitement because you're going to change the world you only get it in moments right before you change the world and it's just it's just excitement like you, it has the same attributes as excitement right you're, you're pumped up about it. You're like, you just, you maybe get goosebumps or you feel sick about it. Like it's just, it's, 
there's it's some force in the universe because something big is fixing to happen and then you just have to be okay with that and be like look i this is one of my moments where i'm going to give back to the world and i'm going to change everything and then it's just it's just what it's just that moment it's just the identification of that moment and then you just get comfortable with it oh i haven't felt this in a while okay lean into it let's go change the world i love that i'm stealing that from you Take it. Yeah. And then when you feel it and it'll be hard because you get the, because when it actually happens is one thing talking about it's another, but when you're (laughs) backstage or they're fixing to call your name, what I'll do. And I don't think I've ever shared this before is I sit there with my phone. Right. And I have a notes um, app open and I type to myself, uh, this is going to be great. You're going to change the world. It's going to go smooth. You're going to speak clearly. You're going to help people. You're going to bring value to this audience. And I don't stop typing positive things all the way up until the moment when they call. And then I just put the phone down and I walk up and it seems to always go well when that happens. There will be mishaps, but like a joke will occur. The clicker won't work. But like no matter what, it just all always works out. Yeah, um, and you're, you bring your authentic self to it, right? I mean, it's not so, and people will relate to that. By the way, you talked about the, the positive, um, and I hope you take this as a compliment, but do you remember the Al Franken SNL skits where he stands in front of the mirror and he tells himself that, gosh, gosh darn it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's kind of, I think that there's something to be said for that, right? It's like really feeling that sense of there is no real, like, you know, major reward comes from taking risks and changing the world. And I, I love that. I think that's really great. And if you watch, and I found this out from a friend, but um, I don't watch a lot of sports. I, I, that's just a personal thing. I just don't watch a lot of sports. I don't watch a lot of TV, but um, if you watch a, a friend that was into sports told me you watch a, a basketball coach, what they're saying to the players is almost nothing about like strategy and tactics. They're just coaching them on a human level. And so, you know, while I'm not in that position in my life where I have someone standing next to me before I go on stage to coach me on it. So I just sort of assume that role. What would they be saying to me? Mm-hmm. You know, what should I be saying? Like, if I'm going to third person and coach myself, what are the things I would want a coach to say to me? And then I just, I, I play that role for myself because out of necessity. Yeah. 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 It's, um, it's like the coach metaphor is also like super cool. Um, yeah, I am a big sports fan. I have to admit that. And there are a lot of times where I see like the X's and O's on the football field and like the plan and the play. And, but yeah, more, more times than not, it's like slapping them on the back and saying, come on, get out there. Let's do this. You know, like it, it, it's a really great metaphor. You know, I played sports growing up. I played baseball for about nine years, played football in high school, and I played basketball here and there in the summers. Oh, wow. I just, uh, Yeah. So I, I like, I'm a very active person. So it's actually kind of hard to get me to sit down and watch, like watch something. But the one thing I will watch, like if somebody invites me to this, I will go to a hockey game. I love hockey. Because there's yeah. always something going on and it's not yeah. like structured, super structured plays, or at least to the point where I'm picking up on them. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it, it seems like it's constantly engaging. Like that puck, man. I'm like a, I feel like a, the cat with the laser, right? I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> I love that. That's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough sport too. I mean, it's like, it's a really rough and tumble and beat them. Like it's, it's tough. Oh yeah. And I, I just learned how to ice skate like three years ago. So <laughs> good for you. That's hard. You'll, you'll love this. Um, and then we'll start to wrap up, but this is a okay. fun story. I haven't, I haven't told anyone. So actually about like seven years ago, I was going on this like first or second date and she wanted to go ice skating and there happens to be an ice skating place in Florida. <laughs> She's like, you know how to ice skate, right? I was like, for sure. So, <laughs> of course. How could I not ice skate? I'm a native Floridian. Um, so <laughs> I, <laughs> I YouTube. <laughs> I YouTube. You can't YouTube videos. how to ice skate. <laughs> I YouTube videos of ice skating and like I'm doing like practice things in my living room. <laughs> And then I, I go to the ice and I don't fall. And I was what? like, now I definitely did that. I'm a three-year-old kid scooting along. But the first time I went ice skating, I didn't fall and I kind of got it. And, and she, she, she only helped me a lot. <laughs> yeah, right. But I did it. I, I, 
I did it and I, I was honest with her too. I was like, yeah, I've never iced I it. I was waiting for the crash and burn moment. Instead, you're like, yeah, and I got away with it. It's like the guy who reads the cliff notes for the exam and gets an A. I'm like, there's something wrong with that. That's why I was excited to share. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is really, I was an athlete too growing up. I'm definitely a tomboy. Definitely not the princess type, but yeah, football and hockey and basketball and softball and tennis and volleyball. Yeah, that was my thing. Because oh, I'm tall. Awesome. And I, you know, that was like, and I was geeky and tall. So that felt yeah. like a place for me to be. Nice. That's yeah. good. You and, and you and the important thing is though that you enjoyed how you were spending your time, right? Definitely. It's being yeah. happy. Yeah. yeah being success, happy. That's why I talk about success is like what makes you happy? And it's gonna be different for everybody. Happy, excited. Tell me what you are, as we wrap up, tell me what you're the most excited about for the future at BlackBot. Oh, well, the path that we're on. I mean, you know, it's like I said, we started at five, it's been five years that we started this cloud transformation and the vision of where we're going. I mean, Joel, that I, I talked about how we serve each of these individual customers today in these different markets. But for me, what's most exciting is connecting those together so that together we can have a lot more impact and drive greater outcomes. So the conversation changes from how much dollars have you, have you raised to how much mission impact have you had? And then being able to connect nonprofits together, companies who give gifts in kind, you know, foundations who have dollars, like to be able to solve real problems in a collaborative and like well-coordinated way we have the data and we have the customers. What we need to do is help make all these connections happen so that we can do more good in the world. And that's what we're just in the backseat making all these things happen as the people, our customers who are really doing all the great work. We want to help them do even more. That's amazing. I love it. Yeah. There's actually, there's Thanks. a company in, um, company in Boston, a guy who's a popular um, stockbroker, New York money management type person, finance. And then he had a brain aneurysm or some horrible medical issue. And then he decided to dedicate his life to like charity and more meaningful activities. And they have a company, I believe it's in Boston. I think they have about 12 or 14 people, but they do analytics for charities. And so they'll go to the charities and they'll do donor analytics for things of that nature. But yeah, for some reason he popped into my head. I don't know if that's useful to you or not. <laughs> Yeah, I would love. I would love to know what the name of the company uh, is. Um, I probably know them. We've got a team in Cambridge called Target Analytics, and they do work with enterprise nonprofits doing similar things to what you described. His name is Rich Palmer, and the company he's a, he's the co-founder and CTO at Gravity, which is AI. Oh for yeah, I know company. Gravity. Sure. You know Gravity. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. There you go. So yeah, that's why I popped in my head. I was like, you should probably know this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, like again, like I feel like if we stayed on the phone another half an hour, there's probably a hundred other people that we can <laughs> triangulate on that we know. Awesome. Well, yeah, because great people just collect great people. So yeah, it was fantastic. We made a podcast. We did it. I'm so excited. <laughs> this is awesome. I'm not. I'm not kidding you. The next time I see on my travel schedule that I'm coming through your area, I'm gonna put a little alert on my calendar to um, notify you and see if I stop by and say hello, because it would be no, great. No, really, Joel, you should totally do that. I would love to show you a little bit more about BlackBot and you can see our engineering. And, and I hope that, I hope the conversation was what, what you had in mind. I mean, I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, it certainly was a little bit different for me, which was awesome, but not as deeply technical, but I, I loved it too. I mean, learning more about you and what you're doing, I mean, it's fantastic. Yeah, we find that these conversations, because we measure the value that we bring based on people interacting with us mm -hmm. and their, their feedback, and these types of conversations help so much more people because just the little passing statement of truth that you'll happen to mutter as just a, like a side sentence will just ring true for them. There's all these little things, but these styles of conversation bring the most value to the, to the market. So, Well, thanks for all you're doing. And if there's something that I can help you with, like advising a nonprofit or anything that comes up, you should just reach out to me. I mean, seriously, anytime. And I'd be happy to, you know, grab my connections and help you network if there's anything that you're looking for specifically. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely reach out and get your address so I can send you a couple of the books. And then um, we'll just stay in touch. Great. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. you you're too. great, really. You're great. <laughs> <laughs>
That's awesome. Now, seriously, I, I love what you're doing. Keep doing it. And um, I'm here. So let me know how I can help you. All right. Thank you so much, Mary Beth. All right. See you, right. Joel. See ya. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to help, please take a moment right now to open up the iTunes app and leave a review of the podcast. If you take a screenshot of the review and text it or email it to a friend who needs to listen to the podcast and then CC me, joel at moderncto.io. If you CC me on the email, I'll send you a copy of the Modern CTO book or give you a shout out on the podcast, whichever you prefer. We're trying to get listed on the top 100 for iTunes and I need your help in order to do this.